I'm going to begin with a short sermon. If you could, in preparation for that, open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Open to Acts chapter 6. This morning we are celebrating something which almost certainly seems strange to the outside world, and sadly might even seem strange to some churches. Brothers and sisters, rejoice that you are here in a gathering of saints who seek to honor the King of heaven and earth by ordering his church the way he has commanded in the ordination of Chris, Doug, and Andrew into the office of deacon. Amen? In an effort to fulfill this desire, both Pastor Nate and I will be delivering short sermonettes for your edification and instruction. I'll start by giving a charge to the members of Covenant Baptist Church, and then Pastor Nate, shortly thereafter, will give a charge to the three men being ordained. Now, as I considered what earnest request to make of the congregation this morning, what charge to give the members of Covenant Baptist Church in light of this occasion, I was reminded of the importance of understanding the office of deacon. So my charge to those in the congregation is that you would better understand what we're doing here this morning. What better way to glorify our God and honor these men than to take seriously through understanding what this office is and work these men desire to take up in the local church. May God be glorified in that end. So the topic today is the charge to the congregation in light of today's deacon ordination. The scripture reading is going to be out of Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So this is the general objective. I've already said it. That we would all have a clearer view of the office of deacon for the glory of God and the good of his church. So if you're taking notes or if you're taking mental notes, I'm going to break this up into four very short parts. Part one is the need of the office, the need of the office of deacon. That's verse one in Acts chapter six. Then the apostolic root of the office. That's verses two and three. The distinction of the office. That's verse four. And lastly, the fruit of the office. Now with that in mind, let us turn to Acts 6 and put our finger on verse 1 and read together. I'll read, you read along with me. Now at that time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading. 
And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. What are you doing here? That is a question I want to ask everybody. What are you doing here? What are we all doing here? Today we are involving ourselves as a gathered people in an ancient practice. Yes, that's not an overtly shocking claim for us as Christians, for each and every week when we gather here together as a congregation on the first day of the week to worship our Lord, where we sing praises to him, speak to him in prayer, where he speaks to us in his written word, where we feast at the table with the bread and the wine. Yes, each and every week we're engaged in an ancient practice, are we not? For you all well know that Christians around the world have been practicing the very same things as commanded by our Lord for over 2,000 years. But for your edification, both Pastor Nate and I are leading us in another ancient practice, an ancient ceremony, one that is not enjoyed each and every week, the ordination of men who have been confirmed to the office of deacon. The ordination process of these men into the office of deacon is not only ancient, but it's thoroughly biblical. And therefore, what we are celebrating today has, not surprisingly, found its way into the confession of faith that this church holds. The Second London Confession of Faith, commonly known as the 1689. And there in its chapter entitled, Of the Church, it says this in the following paragraph. Quote, the way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person, fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit unto the office of bishop or elder, which is pastor, in the church, is that he be chosen thereunto by the common suffrage of the church itself, and solemnly set apart by fasting and prayer, with imposition of hands, the laying on of hands, of the eldership of the church, if there be any before constituted therein, and of a deacon, that he be chosen by the like suffrage, and set apart by prayer, and the like imposition of hands. So this ancient practice that we are engaged in today, this ancient ceremony which you will all observe, is not only ancient, but biblical. And not only biblical, but confessional. And that's why it's in our confession because it's biblical. So what I want to do now is look at these four brief sections as, we, as I exposit Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Read with me what we read. This is under the heading, The Need of the Office. That the office of deacon was providentially necessary in the early church. Verse 1. Now at this time... While the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Do you see that providential need that was there in the early church? These are two groups of Jewish Christians, the Hellenistic Jews and the native Hebrew Jews. And many commentators will talk about the reason why this division may have existed but nonetheless, we see that there was a division. And here we learn in verse 1 from the historian, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, 
what continued to providentially unfold in the earliest days of the New Covenant community after Pentecost. Here, the apostles were brought this complaint. The apostles were those who were commissioned by Christ to be his spokesmen, to be his emissaries. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, that is, all of the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. That's what we're doing this morning, an ancient practice done by the very first Christians led by the apostles. Acts 4.34. From that time to time, those who owed land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The apostles were in a leadership position, were brought possessions that were given freely from those in the early church to anyone who had need. But who had charge over those possessions? Who were they bringing the possessions to? The apostles. Acts 5.41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. This is after they were scourged for believing in Jesus. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So just from these few verses, what is the main function of the apostles? It was to teach. It was to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. But they also had administrative tasks that were being brought to them. Now, as the apostles found themselves amidst a growing church with growing needs, not unlike Moses, who was in need of ministerial help, when the children of Israel were multiplying under his singular rule, and 70 elders were supplied by the Lord to help him, you can see Numbers 11 for that, the apostles were teaching and ruling and in charge of serving the growing church with growing administrative tasks. Now, maybe they remembered Moses' grumbling from Numbers 11, which they all knew. They all had Numbers 11. It wasn't called Numbers 11. It was just the book of Numbers. But they knew the section where Moses grumbled and was given helpers by the Lord. And knowing that the Lord was ruling through them and his church, called them together to supply for the need. For here we read of the first division in the early church. It was a ploy of the evil one to, to disrupt the progress of the word. A complaint that eventually was brought to the ears of the apostles. So here's the application as we consider the beginning of this, this need of the office of deacon. There was a need in the ancient church. We see it in verse 1. But there's also a need in the church today for qualified men to fill the office of deacon. We've all been blessed here at Covenant Baptist Church that we've had these three men who have been doing the work of a deacon. But now this morning we seek to be thoroughly biblical and to install these men officially into an office to do the work that they've been doing. We rejoice that we can celebrate together in that end. The larger the church, the larger the need. But as we will see next, it's not just a need that has to do with numbers. It is a need that has to do with the required and differing work between the office of elder and the office of deacon. So now look with me at verse 2 and 3. The office of deacon 
was instituted by Christ. You might say, no, it was instituted by the apostles. I'll say it again. This is what we're going to learn. That the office of deacon was instituted by Christ because it has an apostolic root. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. The apostles summoned the congregation together before the office of deacon was established. This is an important detail to recognize, brothers and sisters. The two offices of the New Covenant Church, that of elder and deacon, are not the inventions of man-made speculation. They're not even pragmatic inventions where there was a need and the apostles invented this office out of whole cloth. Christ himself, ruling through the apostles, is the one who established the offices in the church. He is the one who promised, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ is the one who's building his church. If we go all the way back to the context of the book of Acts in chapter 1, we read this where the historian Luke says, the first, I, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Take note of that word began, because Christ, and we've said this before, Christ didn't finish working when he was taken up into heaven. He began a work and continued that work even after his ascension. How did he continue to work and to build his church if he's in heaven? By and through the apostles. And he said as much in this opening chapter. He said as much. To these, the apostles, verse 3, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and here's the charge, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So the apostles were charged by the Lord Jesus Christ to rule in the church as his witnesses. There are many places where we can go in the Gospels that reveal Christ commissioning his apostles to the work of building his church and that Christ was building his church through them. But what should be understood is that Christ was and is ruling his church through the apostles from heaven. Now, as my question is this, was he just doing that then or is he doing that today? Just during the lives of the apostles or today? Is Christ still using the apostles to rule his church today? Think about that. Am I in the office of apostle? No. Is Pastor Perkins in the office of apostle? No. But is God still using the apostles to rule in his church today? Yes. You might ask how. We have the apostolic witness in the New Testament teachings, which we are holding in our hands this very morning. 
So rightly understood, Christ is ruling through the apostles in the written word in your midst right now. What we're seeking to do is be thoroughly biblical this morning, meaning it's in the Bible. It's in the scriptures. And Christ is building his church through the apostles even today. Even though they are dead and alive in heaven, yet they speak in the church in the written word. So here's the application for this point. The church is being built by Christ and is to be ordered by Christ. The church is not called to seek novel solutions. The church is not authorized to create offices that seem expedient in the moment. But what about this text, you say? Isn't that exactly what they were doing? Creating an office that was expedient for the moment? Well, first, this example from Acts is apostolic. And second, for us, this example from Acts is scriptural. So again, this is Christ ruling in his church through the apostles, and for us, through the apostles in the written word. But he goes on to say this, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So select brothers from among you. I want to talk about this idea of serving tables. It will bring us into our third of four points. That this idea of serving tables. This is an, an, a descriptive analogy of what the office of deacon is. It's a table server. A deacon is a table server. One theologian says this, From here we learn what is the business of deacons, who were afterwards appointed to take this part of the apostles' work off of their hands and to attend to it. It is to serve tables, the table of the Lord, by providing the bread and the wine for it. We have bread and wine on this table this morning. Would it surprise you that one of the men who's being installed as deacon today set it up, provided it, receiving both from the minister when blessed and distributing them to the members and collecting from them from the poor and the defraying the charge and observing what members are missing at ordinances whom they are to admonish and if their admonitions are not regarded to report it to the church and they are likewise to serve the minister's table by taking care that he has a sufficient competency for his support. And it belongs to them to stir up the members of the church to their duty in communicating to him, that is the minister, and what they receive of them, they are to aptly to his use, and also they are to serve the poor's table, to whom they are to distribute of the church's stock, goods, with all impartiality, simplicity, cheerfulness, and sympathy. All of that is in the idea of it is not good for us to serve tables, the apostles say. Now, is it not a good thing to serve tables? Everything that I mentioned in that job, in that task of a deacon, is that not a good thing? Absolutely. It's a necessary thing. But is it the job of the elders? Is it, was it, a good thing that the apostles were looking for help in those ministrative tasks. Yes. Clearly, the apostolic communication is teaching us that there is a necessary distinction that must be made between the offices in the church, and that is further understood by what follows. This is point four. The distinction of the office. The office of deacon differs from the office of pastor. Verse four. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That was the apostolic reaction to ordaining this office or to establishing this office 
by Christ ruling from heaven. Here in context, we see most clearly the distinction between the office of deacon from that of the office of the apostles. Deacons were to be chosen to serve tables in verse 3, whereas the apostles were to serve the word. We see that in verse 4. That is what this verse is saying. This distinction is clearly obvious in the task given to the congregation to select men for the task of serving tables and the contrasting but we of this verse. The scriptures often use metaphors to convey spiritual realities. We see that all throughout the Gospels when Jesus teaches in parables. And a table server is a descriptive analogy of a deacon, whereas we often read of pastors being described as overseers, shepherds, teachers, parents, and even governors. And what's striking is that concerning the office of pastor, the ability to teach and being devoted to prayer and ministry of the word is clearly established all through the New Testament. But never once are these to be required of those who are qualified to the office of deacon. One example of this is when the Apostle Paul is giving his charge to Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus, regarding the qualifications for every pastor. It is a trustworthy statement, Paul says to Timothy. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, that is an elder or a pastor, it is a fine work that he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Again, the New Testament repeatedly requires those in the office of elder and pastor to be able to teach. But it is never said that it is a requirement of the deacons. Now, this is not to say that deacons are not required to be skilled in doctrine and to hold fast to the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. I believe Pastor Perkins will speak more of this in his charge to the men being ordained today. But it's not required that they be gifted to teach. So here's some applications for our fourth point. The office of deacon is not synonymous with the office of elder. It has a differing work. It's a differing office. The office of deacon is not a coordinate office of authority with that of the office of elder. As if the elders are, have authority in spiritual things and deacons have authority in material things. Deacons are not appointed as a type of checks and balances to the elders, one theologian said. These are some mis misconceptions of what the office of deacon is in the local church today. The office of deacon is not to be understood as a, as a suggestion box to the elders. If you have a question or a concern or a need, you can bring it to the deacons or the elders but the deacons are not a buffer between the elders and you. Pastor Perkins and I welcome any and all questions, concerns, and comments, and communication. And deacons, then, are servants of the church, and servants of the servants of the word. Pastor Perkins and I, in the office of elder at Covenant Baptist Church, are servants of the word. We serve you the word. That's what I'm doing at this moment. 
The deacons are servants of the church nonetheless, but not servants of the word. They are servants of the church and are servants of the servants of the word. Lastly, the fruit of the office. Rightly ordered church is a healthy church. Look at verse 5 through 7. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. Notice that the apostles brought this office, this this, um, command to the congregation. We as a congregation nominated these men to the office of deacon. We as a congregation investigated these men. We as a congregation confirmed by vote these men. And now we as a congregation are present in the installation of these men. And the apostles brought this, the originating of this office to the congregation. And it says the statement found approval with the whole congregation. They didn't do it de facto, but rather went to those in the flock to to see if it seemed well to them. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they, that is the apostles, laid their hands on them. Then it says this concluding word. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the, of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. What I want you to see in this concluding section here is, again, the fruit of an ordered church. The fruit of the office. A rightly ordered church is a healthy church and is a testimony of Christ to a dying world. We see that these men were chosen because they were fitted for the office by the Holy Spirit. We see that this word of God kept on spreading, verse 7 as they ordered this church according to Christ's command from heaven. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, the very place where the persecution was the hottest, the very place where the apostles were being whipped, the very place where the Sanhedrin was trying to squash Christianity. That was the very place where Christianity grew and exploded. They couldn't stop it. They could not stop the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the people of Jerusalem. And what's worth, what's worse, is even the priests, it says by Luke, were becoming obedient to the faith. The very ones who were the strictest against the way, Christianity. The ones who had the hottest desire to squash Christianity. They were becoming obedient to the faith. What I hope you've gained this morning is a better understanding of the providential circumstance for the need of a deacon in the early church. Why there was a need then. Why there is a need today. The apostolic root of the office. The distinction of the office from that of an elder. And the fruit of the office. The blessing that comes when we rightly order the church after God's command. How am I going to remember all this? Our confession of faith, the way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person, fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit, unto the office of bishop or elder in a church, 
is that he be chosen thereunto by the common suffrage of the church itself and solemnly set apart by fasting and prayer with imposition of hands of the eldership of the church if there be any before constituted therein and of a deacon that he be chosen by the like suffrage and set apart by prayer and the like imposition of hands. Praise God that he is ordering his church. Praise God that we are obedient in the ordering of his church. And praise God that he has given us three men fitted by the Holy Spirit and qualified for the office, for his glory and our good. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word out of the book of Acts. We thank you, Lord, for the teaching you give us, even in the historical records of the early church and how we can apply them even today, 2,000 plus years later in the local church, where the same Christ, your son, Jesus Christ, is ruling and building his church. May we all be witnesses of that work today in the installation of Brother Chris, Brother Andrew, and Brother Doug into the office of deacon. May it all be for your glory. And we ask these things in the name of our ruling king. In, G in Jesus Christ, his name we pray. Amen.